Hey everyone, as you can see from the title of today's episode, I am joined today by two very special guests. A few days back, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Tracy and Jeremy from Total Conundrum Podcast to discuss a few mind-bending and puzzling stories with each other, and today we're sharing those stories with you. Total Conundrum is one of my favorite podcasts, which dissects the world's most bizarre stories. Between the paranormal, true crime, cryptozoology, and more, Tracy and Jeremy are sure to keep you hooked on their every word. Oh, and let's not forget, they're always sure to include a bit of morbid humor. If that sounds like your cup of tea, I'll have Total Conundrum as well as Tracy and Jeremy's website linked in today's show notes, so make sure to go give them some love. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the episode. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. Okay, so today we are joined by a couple of really great friends of mine, Tracy and Jeremy. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you guys coming on and and just allowing me to kind of fangirl for a little while. We got into it in the crossover on your channel, but you guys have given me kind of an avenue to escape from paranormal stuff and just have a palate cleanser when it comes to like true crime and fictional stories and you just have a fantastic show so if you will please tell my listeners where they can find you go for it jeremy you're the one that always has it in the <laughs> outro and intro <laughs> <laughs> put me on the spot <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh yeah you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify uh pretty much any of the podcast platforms youtube Twitter. Yep, and then um, all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Instagram. All that good stuff. I and mean, most, most of it's total conundrum. Yeah, we're everywhere. Right. <laughs> awesome. And just for you guys at home, I will have all of their stuff linked in the show notes today, so they'll be easy to find. Um, but would you mind telling them as well kind of what they can expect when they go to listen to your show? We kind of touched on it with, like, true crime and, like, other spooky stuff, but just from your perspective... What is the show about? We kind of just dabble into a little bit of everything. We didn't want to stick with one particular topic because Jeremy's not so much of a true crime buff, but I am. Mm -hmm. But we also like the spooky, the paranormal, the unexplained, just a little bit of everything because it just it kind of all rolls into one. And it's nice to, like you said, to kind of have that palate cleanser of when you get too deep with true crime and sadness, you can kind of go into the spooky world. And so October was kind of fun. Jeremy actually did a, a story that he wrote. He made up his own little cryptid and did a bunch of Easter eggs and, it was and stuff. So cool. It was such a fun so episode. Cool. I laughed so hard during that. It was just great. Now I'm just going to sit back and wait for it to go viral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it's. it was a really good episode. And then when you were saying that you made the art for it. Yeah, using an that's AI. That's also really cool. An AI creator, AI image generator. Because we're like, well, what are we going to use for an image? Because there's not that creature out there. 
So right. I took his descriptive descriptions and put it into an AI generator and picked my favorite one out of it. And Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I mean, you guys just have like a lot of good fun together, even when it's those really heavy hitting topics like the, the phone call. I forget oh, the name yes. of that episode, uh, but I keep going back to it. Don't pick up the phone. Yeah, it's essentially just like the worst thing imaginable that you could have while working at a fast food restaurant. Right. We'll leave it at oh, that. But go check them out, guys. Oh, I know what you <laughs> episode you're nuts. talking about. The one that I went completely silent because I didn't know what to <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> well, at some point, you just, there's nothing to say. Like, that is, that story to me was just very heavy hitting, but it was also the first one that I listened from you guys. Okay. And it was a great intro to the show because even still you guys had fantastic energy Jeremy you did get quiet there I don't blame <laughs> you I think we all would have but it was a great story um, and everyone that I listen to of you guys I feel like I just get so engrossed in it and um, I just to everyone listening at home I can't recommend it enough but um, I do have a story for you guys I'm that I think excited. you'll get a kick out of I'm like so it. excited. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mentioned this to you the other day that it's true crime with a twist. Um, before we like get too into it, I don't cover a lot of true crime on this channel. So for anybody who is listening at home, it's going to be a bit more graphic. I'm sorry, Jeremy, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I think, a story worth sharing. So today we're going to talk about the case, the mysterious case of Teresita Bassa, or should I say, the ghost who solved her own murder, which is really exciting for me. (laughs) (laughs) That is going to be good. Yeah, I'm excited just because obviously you guys talk about a myriad of different like horror related topics on your show. So I felt like this was a good fit. We still have ghosts for me true crime for anybody else who's interested in that so without further ado let's just dive into it yay (sighs) it's gonna be kind of i feel like a tough one but (laughs) (laughs) um our story begins on the evening of february 21st 1977 when a few of the residents living at chicago's pine grove apartments reported smelling smoke coming from a single apartment as well as somebody outside seeing smoke coming from one window from one specific apartment. So they called 911 or whatever the equivalent was at the time, and emergency personnel arrived at the apartments, and they were able to trace it back to the apartment that was being rented by 48-year-old Teresi Tabasa. Before we go any further into that, I did want to talk about who Teresita was. So... She was born in the Philippines in 1929. She was the first and only child of Pedro and Socorro Basa, and together they were a pretty prominent family back in the Philippines. A lot of my sources said that they were, her parents were a prominent business couple for the life of me. I couldn't figure out what it is that they, like, what business they were running, but it sounded like she led a very, like, affluent childhood. Um, it's worth mentioning too that she had a real passion for helping others and she also had a passion for music so by the time that she was in her 30s she 
actually moved to the United States to pursue a degree in music. I think she wanted to be some sort of like concert musician. So classical music was like her forte. Um, And at that point, when she moved to the United States, she obviously settled in Chicago and began leasing the place at the aforementioned apartment complex at Pine Grove Avenue. So, like I said, she had a true desire to help others. So even though she was pursuing this degree in music, she also decided to follow her philanthropic passions and I guess also somehow got a degree at the same time in healthcare. And then she eventually became, I know, like she did everything. So I want to say that Obviously, to get this job, she had to have some sort of medical degree, uh, but she ended up getting a job as a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. So she, yeah, she did it all from what I could tell, um, which makes this whole story really sad. Right. At work, she was known for being a meek and quiet woman. She had a kind heart and she poured all of her energy into the patients that she saw. So From what I could tell, everybody who knew her knew that she just had a heart of gold. She wanted to give everything she had to help people, which is obviously how she found work in healthcare and how she had a driving passion in that. Um, And those who knew her said that it didn't seem like she would ever have any enemies. She was the kind of person who you couldn't help but to like, which, of course, that makes... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say loved by everyone. Yeah, like she, um, I hate to put it this way, but it's what I call like golden retriever energy. Everybody loves like this person and like they just have a heart of gold. Like she really did seem like the kind of person who just not necessarily lit up the room because everyone said that she was like super quiet, but no one had a bad thing to say about her. She was just a loving person, which that of course makes the events that transpired in February of 1977 that much more bleak. So, like I said at the top of this episode, emergency personnel walked into the Pine Grove apartments during the evening hours of February 21st, 1977. Um, By that time, when they tracked the smoke back to her apartment, they were surprised to find that an entire mattress had been set ablaze inside the residence, and that was seemingly what had started the fire. Fortunately, they were able to put it out relatively quickly, so only her apartment got burned, But it's worth mentioning that a good chunk of her apartment was pretty much destroyed. So in terms of finding evidence, they were pretty much screwed. So that's great. Um, However, once they put out the fire, they noticed that there was kind of um, a lump in the mattress. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. Almost as if something was underneath it at its center, kind of like making it protrude upwards. Um... So, obviously, they investigate further, and that's where they found the very charred remains of Teresita Bassa. And this is where things get, like, even more gross, for lack of better words. Disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably a better word for it. Um, And just sad, and like I said, bleak. Like, again, she seemed like she was not disliked by anybody. So, upon further investigation, they found that her body was completely nude, Um, and to make matters worse, there was a large butcher knife that was still lodged in her chest, 
The mattress was then put on top of her, and presumably whoever had done this set the mattress on fire to destroy any evidence. So, given the state of her body, which I'm sure you guys are probably thinking this, but they initially thought that she may have been sexually assaulted. However, autopsy results later showed that that was not the case. And obviously, there wasn't a whole lot to go off of in terms of evidence, simply because the fire had destroyed the majority of the apartment. But there was one single clue that by itself didn't really add up to anything. It was just a single slip of paper that said, get tickets for AS, written in Teresita's handwriting. Um, And they think that it came from like her journal or her notepad because obviously back in the 70s you don't have a phone or anything like that to you know keep track of your appointments and stuff so they found that but again it didn't really seem like a promising lead because AS's those initials could literally be anybody's to be honest like I mean with nothing else to go off of it's pretty generic yeah yeah and it's not like you know they had an address book or anything to go off of. It was literally just this one piece of paper that miraculously didn't get burned. And I guess whoever did this to her didn't see. So eventually detectives John Stachula and Lee Eplin were assigned to the case and they began their investigation. Um, And when they did, they first set sight on Teresita's boyfriend. And apparently around the time of the murder, the couple had been bickering and were kind of going through a rough patch. So he was the obvious suspect from the beginning, but after interviewing with him, investigators felt like he wasn't a viable lead, so he ended up being dismissed as a suspect shortly thereafter. Now, I will say that I tried to look more into who this man was as well as what may have gone on during those interviews just to get a better idea of the investigation itself, but sadly, I couldn't find, like, anything beyond what I just told you guys. Um, I know you both research true crime a lot more than I obviously do on this show. Do you mind me asking if you ever come across that? or It's interesting. In doing the research for true crime cases, it's funny that you can find so much information on one and mm-hmm. so little on another. Like, Jeremy did one case. It was uh, the Weepy Voice Killer and yeah. he actually found a news article of the guy, I can't remember his name, the weepy voice killer. Do you remember his name now? All I can think about is his voice. Yes. <laughs> but, well, <yeah. laughs> Jeremy actually found a Paul, news... Oh, Paul yes. Stefani. Paul Stefani. There you go. Oh, yeah. He found a news article from when he was young, how he almost drowned in a pond... And his brother oh saved God. him. Brother and a friend yeah. or something. But it's like there's like what you're saying. You can't find any information on this guy. But yet you can find mm-hmm. stuff way back when from other people. And it's it's so hit and miss about what you can and cannot find. Sometimes it can be frustrating. Right. And then, I mean, what little information I did find, it did sound like he was very heartbroken and just distraught over the loss of Teresita so I mean it's possible that he just you know broke down and that's really sad so oh, definitely. we'll respect the privacy but 
I went a little crazy trying to find more information <laughs> on like what they spoke to him about. I'm assuming he alibied out, but I was just interested to see, you know, why they were so quick to dismiss him. But again, it's good because he definitely didn't do it. Well, that's good. Also, his name isn't AS, I'm assuming. So Right. Um, yeah, and, and maybe they actually weren't quick about it. You know, I'm sure they put a lot of thought into it, but... Yeah, you know they also wanted true. to protect them because, you know, even you know innocent or guilty, you know, there's going to be people out there that probably think that he is guilty. So that's true. Yeah, I want to say one of my sources, from when I first heard this story a while back, it was actually on a different podcast, and if I'm remembering correctly, like their neighbors had seen them arguing. And I'm wondering if maybe all of the neighbors were like, he did it, and like immediately pointed the finger to him. Right. Um, yeah. But all in all, he, I'm a, like, he checked out. I just wish there was more information <laughs> right. on that. But I do, that is heartbreaking for him. I can't imagine. So No, I couldn't either. Hopefully he's well. But anyways, so as the detectives began their investigation they also reached out to Teresita's friends to see if anybody can point them in the right direction because obviously if the boyfriend's not checking out then you know maybe her friends or even her loved ones would know more information so one of her friends a woman named Ruth Loeb actually called Teresita on the night of the murder and this is her testimony they spoke for about 30 minutes, and then Teresita kindly excused herself from the conversation, saying that she was expecting a friend to stop by her apartment, and that they should be there shortly. And then less than an hour later, Teresita would be dead. So, presumably, wow. this person would have been the last one to see her alive before whoever murdered her did, or from the police perspective, this is their guy. Now, again, that's not much at all for investigators to go off of. I think when they were speaking on the phone, they were just chit-chatting and catching up. And she just really quickly said, oh, hey, I didn't realize how late it was. I need to go. I have a friend that's going to be stopping by soon and didn't give any more information. So we know, obviously, that whoever she saw had been invited over and that there wasn't forced entry, which would be consistent to what they saw at the apartment. But... They still don't know who this person is. Again, all they have is that handwritten note from somebody with very common initials, a testimony regaling a phone call between a murder victim and a friend, and then a suspect who would prove to be nothing more than a very heartbroken boyfriend. So combined, these very weak leads essentially cause the case to go cold after some time, which is very sad, obviously. Definitely. You never wanted to go to cold case status, ever. Right. And I think that the detectives as well, they never, you know, gave up on it. But without much more information, like, what else are you going to be able to do? Right. You kind of reach a stalemate. Right. So six months pass, and Joseph Stachula receives a rather strange phone call, just kind of out of the blue one afternoon. From a man named Joseph Chua, or should I say Dr. Joseph Chua, from Edgewater Hospital. He was claiming that he had more information on Teresita's case. However, he'd been hesitant to bring this information to the detectives because, in his words, he didn't want to sound crazy. I think we can all see where this is going. Yeah. So, for... 
any of this phone call to really make sense, I think we need to shift back to what was happening to Dr. Chua in his personal life during the weeks that followed Teresita's death. So let's rewind again. Go in the way back machine. Yeah, this is, to me, it's just like a wild case of how paranormal activity, when allowed, I should say, can really just do good in this world. I know that that's strange to say, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Okay. So Joseph's wife, Remy, was also a respiratory therapist. And around the time of Teresita's passing, she had started to take on this new kind of persona. Specifically, she would speak of liking music and being passionate about music, kind of in the same vein as Teresita did. Now, being that they did both have the same job, they did work closely with one another, but from what I could tell, Remy and Teresita were not close friends by any means. So when she started acting in the same vein as Teresita, people who knew her thought it was a bit strange. And it got to the point where her colleagues were kind of getting upset with her for mimicking Teresita in that way, and eventually she ended up losing her job over it. Wow. Um, yeah. And then after that, she started having more, like, psychic side effects to her passing, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Remy was apparently having visions of Teresita, um, and on three different occasions, she had allegedly been possessed by Teresita's spirit. She was trying to reach out to solve her murder. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's honestly really hard to swallow for some people. Oh, I'm which sure. Which is, of course, why they didn't want to go to the police, but after several months of this occurring, she would have visions of Teresita, like, in the night, essentially, and then she started having, you know, cases aren't, that isn't really a good word, but essentially, like, episodes, episodes, yeah, of being possessed by Teresita's spirit, so on one of these occasions, Remy would go into this sort of trance that she'd been experiencing, and she would speak to Dr. Chua directly, and it's worth mentioning that the Chuas were also from the Philippines, so when this spirit, for lack of better words, spoke to Dr. Chua, she was doing it in their shared native tongue. And as she did, there were really no subtleties here. She just came out on that very first occasion and asked exactly what she needed from him. She said, quote, Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large. This took Dr. Chua aback because he's seeing his wife who's in this trance and he's worried for her, but he's looking at her from a medical point of view. Like, what, right. what can I do to help you get through this because you're obviously having some sort of episode, like you said earlier. Um, So he kind of, like, presses, like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? And eventually he asks, like, what's your name? Or, like, asking for an identity, essentially. And that's when, again, she said, my name is Teresita Bassa. And that's obviously kind of freaky because at this point, Remy had been like, oh, I've been really affected by my colleague's passing, so that's why I'm leaving my job. Um, So her husband is like, what do you mean that this is 
Teresita Bassa, like this is right. Remy. And like I said, that's the first of their like interactions with Teresita spirit, but they go on for months and she just keeps asking them in these kind of trances, you know, I need your help. Please help me contact the authorities. My murderer is still at large, stuff like that. And, and poor, poor Dr. Chow's probably like wanting to go, what's wrong with you, woman? <laughs> right, right. Because at first, are you sleeping? He's like, right. And I don't think that they were very like big believers in the paranormal either. So she starts having these visions. She leaves her job. And then beyond that, she starts getting possessed and at that point after six months of trying to ignore it and this spirit allegedly asking and asking and asking for them to help her they're left with no choice so eventually they call back the detectives and say like hey we have more information we're gonna sound crazy and they're at first a little bit hesitant to like give any sort of information they basically say like we have reason to believe that xyz happened blah 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 but they don't come out and say it until they really like press for information like we can't do anything with this unless you tell me how you know this so eventually they end up explaining more about these apparent trances in these trances Teresita gave them very specific information that you couldn't know unless it was her so specifically, they were able to provide a name to go along with the initials AS. Like all of the key players in this story, Alan Showery also worked at Edgewater Hospital. So oh. again, I feel like at first that's kind of a jump because there's that's such a common initials that of right. course, like to me from the power of suggestion, maybe Remy had been like, oh, I bet you AS is... Alan Showery, but to play devil's advocate, they were like, okay, can you explain more? But before we get into that, let's talk more about Alan Showery and his relationship to Teresita Bassa, because I think it provides a bit more context here. Um, like I said, he was also an employee at Edgewater Hospital, and he was working as a respiratory technician, so he worked very closely with Remy and Teresita. Wow. So there is a connection there, of course. Um, by all accounts as well, he and Teresita had been really good friends. And in fact, they drove, not drove, but rode home together on public transit on the night of her murder. But he got off, obviously, at his stop and she got off at her stop. But they were known to ride together on the regular occasion. Um, and beyond that, Teresita was actively trying to recruit him to be a part of her band. Because like I said, she was very into music. And she was in this band, and unfortunately one of the members dropped out. So he was thinking about filling that role for her. Um, and this is where it gets kind of wild, guys. But <laughs> <laughs> on the night of her murder, when they rode home together on public transit... She had offered him concert tickets so that he could come to the show that they were having in a few weeks. That way he could get a feel for the band and get a better understanding of the music that they played to see if it would be something he'd be interested in. And overall just get to know, you know, the people he would be interacting with, essentially. And this is all information that Teresita 
allegedly gave to Remy during one of these possession episodes. Which so, she wouldn't be able to pull this information out of her ass, so right. it's gotta come like, from she somewhere. Could, exactly. She could know, like... Obviously, from just, like, the power of suggestion, like I said, know that they're friends, but you can't pull specifics from private conversations had on public transit that you aren't even there for. Right. Like, she, I mean, again, they could have, of course, been making this up, but from the detective's perspective, it didn't seem like that was the case. Like, they seemed pretty frantic when giving these sort of confessions, so... Again, that's a huge accusation to make, but this is the only lead that they've had in six months. So that's quite a chunk of time to have no leads. Um, And they were obviously pretty desperate. So, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and obviously they had, she had pertinent information too. So, yeah, even though they probably don't believe that it was spiritual possession... I mean, there's good good leads in that information that need to be looked into. Yeah, they could have yeah. matched some of the aspects of the case too, which you know. Which is good that they didn't like just say, "Oh, she's a you know psycho," or you know, or she's out of yeah. her mind. We're not going to listen. So I'm glad that they decided to pursue something with it. Exactly, and and like I said, they held on to this information for months. Basically being, I don't want to say harassed, but constantly, night after night, being visited by this spirit who's begging them for help. Right. So the fact that they held on that long specifically for that reason, because they were worried about being essentially called crazy, I think it's it's really good of the detectives to kind of go and look into this because she did have pertinent information that was worth at least rolling out, if anything else. So Exactly. That said, they did want some kind of proof beyond just these essentially word of mouth, he said, she said, right? So they were like, can you give us any sort of information to go off of if we were to show up at this person's house? And they did. So apparently Teresita had told Dr. Chua through Remy that a pearl ring had been stolen from her apartment on the night of the murder. She described the ring in great detail, explaining that it was from France and that it belonged to Teresita's mother. Beyond that, she also gave Dr. Chua the phone number of her cousin, who would be able to identify the ring in the event that it was found and that they looked into this claim. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, they had, like, legitimate proof to kind of go off of, even though they were concerned about being called you know, crazy. I think they really pressed Teresita for details during these trances, saying, if you want us to go to the police, you really have to give us some sort of proof, you know, that we can go off of. Otherwise, they're not going to take us at face value. So the fact that she was able to identify a ring, as well as provide a phone number to a person that neither of these people knew, and when they called it, it was in fact her cousin, like, that's pretty damning evidence of the paranormal in my mind but oh definitely like that's just to me is kind of crazy but the detectives were still pretty hesitant but at the same time it had been several months since they had any sort of lead and 
based off of this information, they felt like they had at least enough to go to Showery's house and question him at least a little bit. So they go to his residence, and at the time, Showery wasn't home, but his girlfriend was, and after answering the door, she decided to let them into the residence to speak with them there. Now, this woman's name is Yanka, and the conversation that Eplin and Stachula had with her was a true turning point for this case, because not only did they see the ring in her possession, they were also able to get in contact with Teresita's cousin, um, and she was able to confirm that that was, in fact, the ring. So, (laughs) so all of this turned out to be true, right? Um, and at that point, Showery was backed into a corner. They ended up saying, like, one of you two did it. The detectives, when they ended up arresting him, said, like, one of you two had to have done it. So, I guess to protect his girlfriend, he did end up saying that she had nothing to do with it. Um, he had actually given Yanka the ring as a gift, which that, is so gross to me. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say that. Why do all of these people think it's okay to gift this jewelry that they of the people they murdered to their loved ones, quote unquote? Right. I mean, for one, hello, you're, you're going to get busted because that's the first thing they're going to be looking for is mm-hmm. these specific people pieces and how can you as a human look at that piece of jewelry on your significant other's finger every single day and not have some kind of reaction or thought or unless they view it like the other thing it's just gross but the one thing that like also sticks with me is like you can like you said how can you look at your quote-unquote loved one with that ring on their finger, knowing what you did to the person who originally wore the ring. But on top of that, you're making your spouse essentially an accessory after the fact. Right. Because if he hadn't admitted to it, they would have had to look into the possibility that it was her because she had the ring in her possession. It wasn't him. Right. So I don't. the whole thing, that idea to me is just foul. Well, I guess it's good that a lot of criminals are stupid because there'd probably be a lot less uh, right. pe- people captured if they weren't. Right. Because, I mean, this guy probably would have gotten away with it if he hadn't taken something that was so identifiable. I mean, obviously, he couldn't have had the foresight that she would come back to haunt, <laughs> essentially, some random couple that had really had nothing to do with her. But, yeah, it's... I don't know why you would take something like that and then no. give it to your spouse, essentially, or just why you would do anything like this to begin with. You creep. But anyways, um, Showery did later redact or retract his confession, saying that he felt forced of to confess because they did, I will say, you know, devil's advocate here, basically tell him, like, you either you confess or we're going to be going after your girlfriend. So he said that he felt like his confession was coerced. His lawyers also claimed that the murder charge should be dismissed, saying that he had been arrested on nothing more than a bizarre story, which 
It's true to some degree because it's true, but you picked the wrong woman to mess with, buddy. <laughs> right, like she wasn't gonna go quietly into no. the night. You know what I mean? Like go Teresita. Like, yeah, and like good for her for coming back and sticking up for herself. Um, yeah, so his his lawyer William Swano was not thrilled about the circumstances under which his client had been arrested. But even still, Stichula and Eblin felt that they had a pretty strong case because they had the confession, even though he retracted it. But they also had the ring and they had essentially two witnesses that were willing to testify that, yes, someone had come to us in the night and told us all of this information and that someone was the murder victim herself. So the other thing is, is they knew that there was a clear motive that Shaori would have wanted to kill Teresita, even though no one said that she had any enemies, what she did have was financial independence. And that was one thing that Alan Shaori did not. Um, he had apparently in recent months been in a tough spot financially. And because Teresita was a woman who had always been passionate about helping people, especially her friends, she had been paying him to do odd jobs around her home. So fixing stuff here and there, changing light bulbs, and, like, really just random jobs. But she was paying him a generous amount of money because she's a generous person. They were friends. He's in a tough spot. And unfortunately, that was something that Showery decided to target. Um, I think, from my memory, if it serves me correctly... She always paid him in cash, obviously, because there wasn't, you know, Venmo or something like that. Um, And he thought since there was always the presence of cash, then there must be more around her apartment. However, it's worth mentioning that he didn't take anything aside from the ring. He didn't really take anything from her place. So in the beginning, they had no idea that it was a robbery gone wrong. But in retrospect, knowing that he was in a tough spot financially it made a lot of sense why he would orchestrate this act. So this is where things, to me, just kind of add insult to injury. But during the trial, Showery was convicted of murder, arson, and robbery of Teresita. But he was only given a 14-year prison sentence. Is that... You guys are more of an expert on this topic than I am. Does that seem short? Very short. Yeah. Very short. I mean, that's... Three different charges. Yeah. Right. So that seems to happen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Especially in sexual assault cases where people are repeatedly sexually assaulting someone before they progress on to murdering. They serve like three, four, five year sentences. And it's like if you just would have put them away for a significant amount of time, a lot of these cases wouldn't happen. But yeah, 14 years. That's nothing. I mean, there's people that get drug charges that serve yeah. that, you know. And it's also three independent charges. Right. So you're you have murder, which obviously to me Life, right? Especially there. in the way like to me this is overkill. You stab her, then burn her, then like, you know, stage a sexual assault that didn't actually happen. Like that is murder in itself is too much, but to me right. that seemed like overkill. But on top of that, you set her apartment on fire and robbed her. And it seems like it was premeditated, so that'd be murder, you know, be first degree. Right. Yeah, and, 
it's apartment too, so I mean, there's other people that oh uh, yeah, you're could have been infect, mm. affected by the you know yeah, the fires. Right. It was one of the charges arson? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's endangering all of the other people in that apartment building too. Yeah, and I mean, in Chicago, obviously, if a building's on fire with the wind, oh yeah, that's like asking for disaster essentially Big time, especially with how close together everything is too one building's gonna right. set another and another and yeah it's just i don't know the fact that he only got like he was sentenced to 14 years but beyond that he only served five I before was he was say, enrolled i was gonna say seven so yeah go figure <laughs> infuriating to me. Oh, totally. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, again, I searched high and low to see, like, why they paroled him. Nothing. Like, I could not find anything about, I guess, probably good behavior, but to me, murder in and of itself, at least the way it was orchestrated, probably should be life in prison. 25 to life, letting... at least. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can't just be letting these people out after five years doing that and like you said it's premeditated but with the other two charges that just seemed kind of like a slap in the face to her well hopefully she's haunting his ass (laughs) honestly i hope that she had like that she's just terrorizing him but his life his afterlife yes every other life after that just honestly torment the hell out of him yeah just teet, 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 teet. I'm still here. <laughs> You're not getting away from me. <laughs> it's so petty, too, like what he did this over. Because I'm sure if he just said, I want all of the cash you have, would your friendship survive? No, probably not. But she no. probably would have given it to him. Right. And I mean, robbery by itself, which isn't great, is a whole lot better than murder, arson, then robbery. Right. Um, but yeah, he was let out on parole in 1983. I believe he's passed away. I can check and make sure I'm not misquoting that. But yeah, it just seemed like he did this awful, horrific act. He wouldn't got, be... Got a slap on the wrist. If Not even a yeah. slap on the wrist. And he wouldn't have even been convicted if it weren't for the fact that she came back. Right. So while you're looking that up, there is a case in the 1800s of this Ooh. man who murdered his wife, but he set it up to have a, a neighbor boy come by and check on her during the day while he was at work because he said that she wasn't feeling well. And he was going to try to frame this neighbor boy for attacking his wife. Oh my so God. So he staged her body on the ground whatever the boy came over ran home told his mom that she was you know had died and Mm -hmm. the guy got a call or it was in the 1800s so not a call but was notified that something happened so he went home and he was like guarding his wife and would not let the doctor or anybody go near her anytime somebody tries to come near her he just starts sobbing uncontrollably and so then the doctor um what did he say she died of an everlasting faint it was her I think cause I've heard of this death. story 
Yeah, and okay. So then they, um, he, the husband dresses her, and he has her in a really stiff, high collar dress or whatever. And when they were carrying her coffin, somebody noticed that her neck was kind of moving, right. and her she ended up the ghost of the woman ended up going to her mother every night and saying you know he he murdered me check my neck have you know and so they yeah. exhumed her body against her husband's wishes and found out that her neck was broken and that yeah. he had strangled and killed her so she was another one of those the ghosts that solved her own murder. Yeah, what was the name of that case? I know exactly which one you're talking about. I can't um, think of the name of it either. I can't but think of it either. But yeah, they... We'll have to find it and we'll have you put it in your show notes. <laughs> yeah, well, if you guys want to do a deep dive into more cases like this, apparently it's pretty common for people to come back and <laughs> solve their own murder. I don't know if you've ever watched... Um, it's. I think it's on either Prime or Discovery, one of the two, but it's a show, it's a multi-series or multi-episode show, and it's called How I Solved My Murder. What? No, I've never yes. heard of that. <laughs> it's, I, th- I can't remember if that's exactly what it's called, but it's something similar to that. I did a story, what episode was Isn't that? Isn't like How I Caught My Killer? How I Caught My Killer, maybe. Yeah, okay. And... Which one? I'm trying to look at our list here, and I'm oh, no, that's not it. Randy Just remember Rosin. something about the cell phone. Cell phone number. Our episode number eleven. Um, there, awesome. we, I covered one of a case. Her name is Brandy Rosin, and because of some t- text messages that she sent before she died, it helped solve her murder because wow. she sent the address of where she went. To a friend, but a awesome. friend... Yeah, you'll have to watch that show and listen to that episode. It's kind of along the same where, you know, it's they're helping solve their cases from beyond the grave. Yeah. Guys, if that sounds interesting to you, I'll have all of these episodes that we've talked about linked in the show notes for today, just so you guys have some recommendations to go off of. Also, I did find that he's still alive. He's 77 years old, just kicking it. Convicted of murder, it. convicted of arson, convicted of robbery, and basically got to live a full life. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just, to me, that's so, it's just foul, like I said, that he's still Able out to and just about. Rob- not, that yeah. I wish, not that I wish anyone dead, but I do wish he was still, or at least served longer than five years. Right. But, well, hopefully he had karma in his life and a lot of it I'm sure hopefully she's haunting him fingers crossed she is that would be so cool (laughs) wouldn't that just be I mean just to picture it just have her (laughs) nope you're not getting away (laughs) I'm still here (laughs) you're still here you might be out of jail (laughs) you might be out of jail but I'm here to be your living nightmare (laughs) yeah don't ever murder me anybody because I will come back and haunt your ass and I will enjoy every second of it (laughs) yeah well I mean am I the only one who has plans for my afterlife yeah. <laughs> like I will be haunting something. I don't know what it is yet, but <laughs> And why just one thing? 
venture around, hunt multiple. Yeah, you can <laughs> you can hunt supposedly multiple things. Yeah. So Well look at Resurrection Mary. She has that uh road in Chicago all you know, she's got the Henry Ballroom that she goes to. She's up and down um Yeah. I can't remember the name of the road now. But yeah, she just kinda What about the other Mary? The other Mary? Which yeah, one? Bloody Mary. Oh, Bloody Mary. Yeah, she goes, she goes house everywhere. <laughs> she goes everywhere. Just say her name. Three times. <laughs> that just took me back to childhood, man. <laughs> Playing that at like sleepover parties. I I must have been the weirdest person to invite to a sleepover party, but. Light you know. as a feather, <laughs> stiff as a board. Did you ever do that yeah. one? <laughs> oh, I did all of them. And wait entirely too young for me to be oh. playing these games. Oh, but totally. I've also always been a spooky person, so can't say that I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but um Fair and I have talked about this a lot on, you know, different series and stuff that we've gone over, but like the entirety of Virginia City, Nevada is haunted and those ghosts will just hop from place to place. I don't think that we're really this is going to be like a contrary to popular belief sort of an opinion, but it seems like you can, you're not bound to specific locations. Right. At least not for the most part. Um, I, mean, I used again, to always speculate. Yeah. I used to yeah. always believe that you, you know, they were, it was one place and that was it. But the more stories I hear of different people and different hauntings and, stuff like that it doesn't sound like i mean if it, you don't even have to have died at the place to be a ghost there it could be just like a no. one of your favorite places in life that you go back to and yeah. there's just i don't think there's really any boundaries and like i think you and i were talking this was before recording the halloween episode i think it was you and i how i was talking i was going to say it sounds familiar how I was so scared to be investigating this graveyard, but in the same sense, it's like, why would anybody want to haunt their body in a graveyard when they could be at somewhere right. else? And I'm like, huh, maybe I shouldn't be as scared of graveyards as I am. Right. I mean, we talked, we talked about that. Yeah. That was me before the show, but I've spoken yeah. about that on so many occasions on this show where those are some of the least haunted places that you could come across specifically because no one's going to want to spend essentially an eternity's worth of uninterrupted time haunting six feet above their corpse. Right. Like that just doesn't sound like something that anyone would want to do. Um, so yeah, don't be scared of graveyards, (laughs) (laughs) but anyways, You would probably you want would? the graveyard. Yeah, so <laughs> those are his plans for the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I mean, or you could spend like even because again, it's an eternity's worth of uninterrupted time. You could spend like, you know, a hundred years in one place, and it would be like twenty minutes for you. So probably. may as well spend some time there. And yeah, I'm sure you get vacation time. You know, then you can go to Haunt Honolulu or something. You know, Honolulu. Yeah. Honolulu. Ha- <laughs> That's awesome. Well, guys, um, I guess before we close this out, do you want to remind everyone um, again where they can find you on? I know that you said most podcast directories. Or yeah. do you have any parting words to share? 
Well, th- uh, thanks for having us. This has been so much fun. We I, had a blast. We definitely. That was yeah, a of course. great story. I enjoyed that so much. But um, yeah, course. we our website is totalconundrum.com. Um, I believe we have a link tree on there that'll link you to all of uh, all of the platforms and stuff. But we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube. We're gonna start doing videos, I think, in the near future. So instead yeah. of just having uh, our logo on the screen the whole time, we'll actually have us recording, which I'm terrified of. <laughs> It's one thing having, you know, recording and not being able to speak and edit it out, but having your goofy facial expressions on there, no. too. You guys, Something about that. <laughs> I get where you're coming from, but you yeah. guys truly look great. You guys Uh-oh. have these, like, really fancy cameras. I'm so jealous of them. So. <laughs> well, you know, I was, you know, if you're going to get it, do it right, I guess. And I, you know, I'm like... Oh, does it have these kind of filters that can make me look pretty? <laughs> right. <laughs> you look great regardless. Oh, but thanks. um just just a reminder, of course. Just a reminder to everybody as well, everything that we sort of discussed in terms of how to find them, the episode that we talked about earlier, all of that'll be linked in the show notes. But other than that, I just really appreciate you guys coming on and listening well, to thank a you so much true crime story. Thank you so much for doing this. It was, like I said, so much fun. I mean, we we have become fast friends, and I look forward to growing together and the future. You know, keep you know going forward and seeing how we all blow up from expand and grow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, just as a final note, too, guys, we did do an episode over on their show all about the back rooms it was fascinating so if you guys want to check that out that'll also be linked in the show notes but other than that thanks so much for listening and thank you guys so much for being here thanks courtney this episode of haunts was written and produced by me courtney hayes in collaboration with total conundrum podcast As I said at the start of the episode, I'll have Tracy and Jeremy's stuff linked in today's show notes, so make sure to go give them a follow. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find us on social media at HauntsCast, or you can join our email list at HauntsCast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy haunting.